Welcome to the One Crossing Podcast. Here you can find past sermons along with other exclusive content. Our prayer is that God will move in your life even when you are on the go. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning, Crossing Church. How are you doing today? Oh, you look so good. You fake it so well, right? No, I'm just kidding. You look good. You look great. I want to welcome all of our campuses joining together all across this region. If you are inside, we're just so thankful you're part of the family. If you're online, we're thankful for each and every one of you. And we have a lot to celebrate. We always have a lot to celebrate. When you're in Christ, there's no shortage of stuff to celebrate all the time. But it's been awesome. This this week, uh, when we get to the second part of this service, you're going to see last week's baptisms. There were 26. We use like a whole song for that. Last week, there was 29 baptisms. Over this month, there's been over 100 baptisms. And then at camp, yeah, praise God for that. And then at camp, we had Fuse Camp, which uh, is uh, junior high, and uh, they had seven baptisms at camp. There were five more baptisms at second and third grade camp yesterday. The harvest is coming in all the time. It's just so awesome. And uh, start, I think, at 4 o'clock. Uh, today is student camp, and God's going to do another mighty work. There's going to be 300 students there and a lot of sponsors. And, and I tell you what, if you look around and you see somebody that is particularly blown up, just tired, they probably worked at camp. But, uh, but it's a good tired. It's the right kind of tired. So uh, we are in a series called My Life Coach. And Clayton last week did such a great job on leadership and how and this particular issue leadership equals influence and you know why that's so important because what it does is it lets us all know that we're all leaders because we all have influence in other people's lives and if leadership equals influence then you need to leverage that influence for the glory of god he pushed us to think about people that we do have influence on and then how we're managing that influence. So I started thinking about my circles in, in life, my circles of influence, and how am I doing in that area? And like many of you, I went forward. I needed to go forward because I needed to pray about how I'm managing that influence because it's not hard for me to get things pretty goofed up. Can I get an amen? amen. Hope that's not about me, but about you. Because we all get things goofed up, right, when it comes to leveraging our influence. And while I'm at it, while I'm talking about that, there are a lot of things in my life that have been tangled up over the years, and many of them that are still tangled up. You guys can relate to that? You got things in your life, just baggage stuff, that just life and experience and being raised in a family create those tangles. They come from all sorts of places in our life. And I can look back on my life and I can think about how I grew up and where some of those were created. One of those places is that uh, comparatively, uh, we were a pretty poor family financially, economically. Now, uh, I only say that because of the standards of the people who lived around me. Because I know that's a pretty relative assessment. Just depends on where you are, but in my uh, with my, uh, you know, people that I went to school with and people that I grew up with, uh, they 
tended to have quite a bit more than we had. And, and I received some teasing. Uh, and, you know, I would observe other people that had things that I didn't have. I would be teased about that. And uh, I'll give you one example. Well, other kids would go with their parents uh, in late summer to, to uh, the shopping center to buy new clothes, right? Uh, you don't, no one says shopping center anymore, do they? Really dated me. Anyway, anyway they would go uh, shop for clothes. And when they were shopping for clothes, I was going down into the basement of our house, and there were these big soap barrels down the basement. You see, my brother, uh, my parents knew a family, and uh, this family had a young man in the family that was the same age as my brother, who was nine years older than me. And my brother wore his hand-me-downs. And so nine years later, I would go down and I would sort through those soap barrels to find out what fit me, which were at least nine years old. So needless to say, the things that I pulled out of those soap barrels were definitely way out of style and they didn't fit very well, hence the teasing. And that's the way I grew up until I was 14. When I was 14, I started wearing new clothes and the reason I wore new clothes is because I went to work at 14 to buy them for myself. That was when I got my first job. So that's just one little piece, but you know, stuff like that, that happens in your life. And I know that we live in a victim culture and everybody's a victim and it kind of sounds like I'm being a victim here, but stuff like that made me want to better myself, made me want to wear the kind of clothes where I wouldn't be teased, and it actually gave me ambition. It started to, to rev up this whole engine inside of me that was ambition. Now, that might sound like a good thing, like I'm not really trying to be a victim here, but I'm just trying to be ambitious and better myself. But the problem is, is where that ambition comes from. Does it come from a good place or does it come from a, a bad place? And in my case, it came from a pretty bad place, a prideful place. It was a place where... I wanted other people to pay attention to me in the right way and not in the wrong way. I wanted people to respect me. I wanted people to accept me. I wanted people to like me. And as I look back, that was just one thing of a whole bunch of things. All these trigger, trigger points in my life. And I bet you right now, every single one of you has those things. And those trigger points in your life create tangled up places in your life that may never even get untangled. And you've learned to live with them, and other people have learned to accept you with them, but maybe you're not comfortable with them, or you really shouldn't be comfortable with them. As I look at myself, you know, there were things that I was giving myself permission to do and feel that really weren't good for me. And the point of my ambition was pride. It was not just pride in myself, but to be proud around other people. And I look at pride, it's a sin, you know, and it, it's a state of mind that ambition can take you to where you want to feel superior in some way. Now, some of us do this the opposite way. We're not trying to push ourselves up with ambition. What we try to do is put everybody else down. It's relative, right? I rise up when everybody else gets pushed down. And so that's a pride thing. Or 
Maybe it's because I, I become ambitious and I want to push myself up so everyone will notice me. Maybe for some of you, it's a desire to compensate or it might even be a place of entitlement because you grew up with special treatment. Because you had special treatment, you, you think every, everybody should give you that when maybe you don't have that coming. Now, I don't think that ambition is necessarily a bad thing. I think the bad thing is what's driving it and then where it can take you. So I want you to think about those two things. Now, let me contrast that to biblical or spiritual ambition. The Apostle Paul writes about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. Check this out. So we make it our goal. Now that word goal is the same word in Greek for ambition. So you could actually read this. We make it our ambition to please Him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. Now that's a good thing. If your ambition is to please God, is ambition bad? You see, it's really found in where it comes from. Is it coming from the right place? Is it going to the right place? If the object of ambition is in the right place, ambition is really a good thing. But motives of the human heart, they're tricky. Tricky things, right? You can talk yourself into things. You can write yourself permission slip for things. You, you, you can... You can uh, deceive your own heart, right? Motives are tricky things. And we can deceive ourselves pretty easily. Jeremiah, the prophet in the Old Testament, he talked about this in Jeremiah 17, 9. Listen to what it says. The heart is deceitful above all things. Wow, that's a big list. The heart's deceitful above all things. And check this out, beyond cure. Who can understand it? Is that true about everybody? Answer is yes. Motives are tricky things because a human heart is a tricky place. So here's the question. How do I get a handle on my heart? How do I sift through all the tangled up places in my life and put something together that's pleasing to God? The answer is I don't know that I can do this by myself. I need someone to coach me, and it has to be someone who really knows me, right? Because we're pretty good at faking other people out. So I need someone to coach me who really knows me, someone who's able to get past all my defense mechanisms. Do you have those? Do you have those things when people start getting close to you and some of the ugly things in your life... Uh, might be exposed, so boom, those defense mechanisms go up so people won't see that I have those tangled up places. You don't want those ugly places exposed because that'll show that there's a need for change. There's only one person that has the power to change you at your core. Only one person that can do that, and you know who it is, right? It's Jesus. The only one. So how do we do that? How do we incorporate Jesus as our life coach? Well, just because Jesus is written about and we read about him in the New Testament, it doesn't mean that you can't see his influence in the Old Testament. And uh, I'm going to pick someone out of the Old Testament that you really understand humility uh, from and how to properly uh, let ambition move you in your life. And that person is Moses. 
Now, I'm going to start with a really, what I think is a really funny verse. Now, some people read the Bible and they don't see humor in it, but I see incredible humor in the Bible. And this is one of those, those scriptures. Now, before I can read this scripture to you, I have to tell you something. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, right? He wrote them. And I'm going to quote from the book of Numbers. So I want you to hear what Moses wrote about himself. Ready? Numbers 12.3. Now Moses was a very humble man. What? More humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. I'm going to have to get back and explain that one, right? Because how can a guy who is a really humble man, more humble that, than anyone on the face of the earth, write about himself, I am more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth? Now, Moses wasn't born that way. He was far from it. There were all sorts of tangled up places in his life, and we can only imagine them. Let's just make a short list. First of all, he's born to enslaved parents, Hebrew parents enslaved by Egypt, right? Born that way. And then as an infant, he has a death sentence placed on his head. All of the Hebrew children, there was a great infanticide that happened. Pharaoh killed all the babies two years and under. He was separated from his family because his mother built him a basket, put him down the Nile River. You remember that? So he was separated from his, his uh, biological family as an infant. And Pharaoh's daughter found him in the Nile River, so he was raised in Pharaoh's house, which is complete opposite. Now he's in a place of total privilege and entitlement. So he goes from an enslaved person with a death sentence as an infant to a person raised with privilege and entitlement in Pharaoh's house, king of Egypt. He is so zealous for his countrymen at the age of 40, he commits murder. He sees one, an Egyptian who's mistreating a Hebrew, and he kills him and buries his body in the sand, which makes him instantly a fugitive. So he becomes a fugitive, and he escapes so that he will not have to go through execution for his crime. And he becomes a foreigner in a strange land uh, across the wilderness when he's 40 years old. And so 40 years, for the next 40 years of his life, he lives as a shepherd in abject humility, trying to make peace with his past. And then when he's 80 years old, when a lot of us are making our retirement arrangements, he gets called by God to return to Egypt where there is still a death sentence on his life to deliver God's message to the Egyptians to let his countrymen go, even though he still remains under a death sentence. Let me tell you something. This dude has tangles. You might think you have a pretty tangled up life. I think this guy wins. I think this guy beats you. So if I can watch God life coach him, maybe there's some things that I can take internally that I can see internally where God can minister to me. Now, like I told you earlier, I don't know if Moses wrote that humility line about himself under inspiration, but I can imagine the conversation between him and God. So if God is saying, write this down, Moses, because that's what inspiration means. It means that they are directed by God to write. Can you imagine if, if Moses is actually the most humble guy on earth? 
And then God says, I want you to write that you are the most humble guy on earth. Can you imagine the conversation? That's why I think it's funny that Moses would go, God, I can't write that. If, you, if I write that I'm humble, then I'm not humble. Write it down, Moses. And why do I have to say like the most in the whole world? Write it down, Moses. I can, that would just be a hilarious conversation to be a fly on the wall listening to, right? But it may not be Moses who wrote it. There may be some portions of those first five books that were written by other people. Why I say that is, Moses' obituary is in those first five books, and I don't know very many people that write after they're dead. So maybe somebody else filled in some of those gaps to complete those books after Moses passed away, after he died. But his death narrative is actually in there. I just know that God did a mighty work of humility in Moses, particularly from age 40 to age 80. And what I see is that all of those tangles that were in his life, God actually used those to shape him into the man that he became. Now, here's something I really want you to catch. It is never God's intention for us to have these tangled up places in our lives. Things that you do or the things that have been done to you that cause all of those tangled up places, that was never God's intention because God is a holy God. God's a righteous God. And he doesn't want those things to happen. But those things do happen because we have the free will to not do the will of God, right? Here's what I want you to hear. Even though we do things that dishonor God or other people dishonor God by the things they've done to us, God can still use those to shape you into the person he wants you to become. And that is a great thing, to know that even my worst failures, God can turn those around and he can use them for his glory. And if God can use Moses' tangles, he can use yours to shape you in a mighty way. Now Jesus has an unlimited amount of tools to be able to coach you and me through life. And, what, and as a life coach, like Moses took that coaching from God, we can take this coaching from Jesus and it'll change us and it'll shape us into the people that God wants us to be, that Jesus can use you. And I'm going to give you just three. There's, there's a countless amount of to, uh, tools that God will use on you, that Jesus will incorporate in shaping you. I'm just going to give you these three. Ready? Number one, he will coach you through his word and through prayer. You need to be in God's word. You need to be reading God's word. You need to be meditating on God's word. And you need to be praying. Let me tell you why. Not just to do it and not just to honor God. You do this because when you read his word and you pray, it brings godly things, spiritual things, to the forefront of your mind. It directs what you see, it directs how you hear, and it directs how you respond. It comes to the forefront of your mind. And that's really important because we all deal with stuff in our lives and we all want to declare ourselves victims. But when we see things through God's eyes, 
And when we're in his word and we're praying, it changes our perspective on how we understand God. It'll affect not your circumstances of life, but how you look at the circumstances of life. It makes you more proactive and less reactive. Wouldn't you like that? Wouldn't you like to be less reactive, just knee-jerk reactions to everything? And instead, I see God in this. I can see God moving through this. I am going to follow God in the midst of this rather than just reacting and doing things that later on create more tangles in your life. I got that from a book called Experiencing God many years ago. And it's where I came up with the idea, the concept, an intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And one of the things I learned in that book was just look where God is working and go and join him there. But you can't see him. You can't see him or look where he's working unless he's in the forefront of your mind. And he's in the forefront of your mind when you spend time in his word and in prayer. That makes sense? It'll make you more proactive and less reactive. It's a great coaching tool that God uses. Here's number two, second coaching tool. He will coach you through key people that he will put in your path. Have you got somebody in your life that God just went and just put that person in your path? And you're like, where did this person come from? And they completely changed the course of your life. There have been a ton of key people that God has placed in my path that he has used particularly in my life. But I just want to tell you about one of them. Just one of them. His name is Todd Winslow. Now, Allison texted Todd uh, before I preached this sermon the first time and said, Jerry's talking about you. And then he texted me back. He goes, you better not be cussing. And I said, well, he probably deserves it, but I'm just going to keep it PG. Anyway, so, so he was listening first service to this sermon. Now, I hired Todd about 10 years ago. I hired him particularly to work with small groups because I wanted uh, us to develop this idea of relational discipleship. And so it was, it was for something that was church-wide, all locations. But God had a different idea because God had a plan on how he was going to use Todd, particularly in my life. And I really needed this, and it, it was something I did not see. So I had given myself permission. I'm going to be real transparent with you here, all right? At that time, I had given myself permission to reduce my filters and to not listen to people or to try to understand the people that were around me. And I'll tell you why. Because I was a really busy, important guy. I'm saying that tongue-in-cheek. See, I was a busy, important guy because I was running a big church. And we had a big budget. And we had a big staff. And I didn't have time to get down into all those relationships. I had to keep pushing this thing forward. I had to be that locomotive. And, and, and Todd hadn't been here two weeks before he called me out on it. I mean, he just was like in my grill. And he started pushing on me, like, hey, man, you can't do that. I had given him permission to do that, and he took advantage of it. And I remember one time he said something to me, and it just, it just got me, frustrated me, like, who are you to tell me, you know, it's that kind of a thing. 
And so I pushed back on him kind of hard. And I said this, okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be like transparent. I said, how long have you been a Christian, Todd? He said, 10 years. I go, I've been a Christian for over 40. Do you know what I was saying by that? I was saying I'm a four times better as a, being a Christian than you are. I mean, think about how prideful and how arrogant that statement is. When I said that to him, he went, ow! I went, what? What are you doing? He goes, you just threw a rock at me. You just hit me in the head with a rock. I go, I didn't hit you in the head with a rock. What are you talking about? He says, you just threw a rock at me. You're trying to tell me you're four times better at being a Christian than I am because you've been a Christian four times longer. And you don't want to deal with what I'm telling you. Didn't phase him a bit. Now, I'm going to tell you something right now. He was on staff for three years, and he spent a lot of time with me, and I don't know if I would have made it this far if he hadn't been in my life. Because God put him there. And God puts people just like that in your life too. He puts them in your life experience, and they help to shape you. And you need to listen when God speaks through his people. That's another tool that he uses as a coach. Here's number three. He will coach you through divine appointments. Now, a divine appointment is a moment, just a moment that shapes your whole life structure. Have you ever experienced that? I mean, it's not like some big thing, like a relationship or anything. It's just this moment. You have this moment, and all of a sudden, everything just goes from here to there. You didn't see it coming? Didn't expect it? I know that happened to me with my calling in life, my, my calling to become a preacher. I didn't want to become a preacher. I was, I, had a, I was a business major at Indiana University. I wanted a three-car garage, and my Porsche sat out. That's what I wanted. I was still working on the soap barrel tangles, you know, from my basement. I was still trying to figure that out. God had a different plan, and there was a moment. It was just a moment. I remember exactly where I was. I remember exactly what was happening, and I know exactly what God did in that moment changed my life, and it shaped me for right now, because I would not be on this stage if it wasn't for that moment. And what I saw... What I learned is that God had shaped my whole life for this, and I never even knew it. All of, my, all of my life experiences and all of your life experiences had an upper story component to them, a story where God was going to do great and mighty things. All of your life experiences have an upper story component to them. Now, that, and that upper story component leads you in paths of righteousness. But I hadn't led a lot of paths of righteousness. I hadn't gone down a lot of those paths. I went through a lot of fields of sin. So do you. Right? But I had a choice in there. I could have taken the path of righteousness and instead took the field of sin. But let me tell you something about my God. He's a faithful God who will lead you to the upper story of your life no matter how many fields of sin you've been in. And he'll shape your life if you'll just let him do it. You know how I know that? I know that because of Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 3. Listen to what it says. Therefore, since we are surrounded 
by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you do not grow weary and lose heart. Well, you just can't read that. You just can't read that. We have to break it down. Let's break it down, right? Since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. You know what that says? That there's a whole lot of people gone before us and they all had tangled up places. Whole lot of people that went before us and they're rooting for us, which means they won. They made it to the finish line. And what God is telling you is you are not his first rodeo. He's been there before. You might think you're a tough nut to crack, but he's, he's, he's worked with diff, more difficult than you. And right now you're surrounded. And someday you'll be surrounding others. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily, what? Entangles. Let us throw off. Here's the second thing you learn from that. It's the word us. You hear that word? Let us throw off. Who has the responsibility to throw things off? Well, we do. Which means that life coaching from Jesus is an act of cooperation. God has his part. You have your part. The question is, are you willing to do your part? Because I guarantee you, God will be faithful to do his part. So we got to say, I'm going to throw this off. I'm going to throw off the things that hinder. I'm going to throw off the things that easily entangle. Because you have your stuff. I have my stuff. We're all the same. You look around. Oh, that person over there, they look like they got it all together. No, they don't. No, they don't. We all have our stuff. You just don't know them well enough. And then it says, run with endurance. Run with endurance. Hey, this is pretty important. Because that word endurance means it's not a sprint. It's a long-distance run. I know a lot of people that had a great two-year run, great three-year run, great eight-month run, and then they just blew their faith, just blew up. The race is not always for the swift. It's for those who keep on running. Run with endurance. And then it says the race marked out for you. You know what that means? You don't get to mark out your own race. God's upper story plan is his plan. It's his plan for your life. You need to follow in his plan. The race marked out for you. And then it says fix your eyes on Jesus. This one's so important. Because a lot of us, when we're dealing with sin or tangles, you know what we want to do? We want to run away from them. And you think, well, that's good, isn't it? It's good to run away from... No, it's not. Because when you run away from sin, you have, an, you have like an infinite number of directions to run away, don't you? And most of those directions just run you into more sin. The way you deal with this is not by running away. That's why the Bible says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Listen to me. If you're running toward Jesus, you're always running in the right direction. Don't be running away, run toward. If you run toward Jesus, you're not, you're not running toward sin. You're running to the one who defeated sin. Fix your eyes on Jesus, run toward him. 
He's our example. And then it says, when we fix our eyes on Jesus, it talks about who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Let us consider someone who endured so much from sinners so that we don't grow weary and lose heart. Jesus ran his race alone. He ran it alone. He was on the cross alone. He bore our sin alone. He paid for our sin alone. He died alone on that cross. He was buried alone, and he rose from the dead so that you and I don't ever have to be alone. We have a life coach. And he will get us there. The Bible says, you began a good work in you, will be faithful to complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. What we need to do is just stay close to him. You need a life coach, so do I. I want you to consider that as we move to a time of decision. Thank you for joining us. A special thank you to those of you that choose to give to this ministry. It's because of your generosity that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description to give now or visit thecrossing.net forward slash podcast for more information. If you enjoy the podcast, be sure to subscribe and share with your friends, tagging One Crossing on social media. Thank you so much for listening.